Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey, it's episode 189. Today is January 7th, 2020. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome, joined today by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. We both survived the coup attempt. Blake, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Surviving? I yes, hope. we are survivors of the uh, the United States coup, uh, attempted coup attempt here. Um, we're not going to talk about that much today. <laughs> we know a lot of you are probably looking for an escape if you're listening to this show. So we got an excellent news story, and we're going to be taking some questions from the community as well. Uh, we're going to be talking about the 2021, or I guess recapping 2020, Cybersecurity and IT Failures Roundup from uh, the IEEE Spectrum. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. But Blake, I, I want to know what's been going on with you, man. Aside from um, the slow United States politics news cycle this week, how are you? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird way to kick off 2021, isn't it? I mean, all of us getting so stoked to leave 2020, and here we are with some some fresh chaos. Yeah. But nonetheless, uh, happy new year to everybody listening, and happy new year to you as well, Nick. Um, hopefully it turns itself around. But it really, I've just been kind of enjoying the holiday time, taking some time off of work, just relaxing, playing a lot of guitar. Um, one thing that I was able to secure over Christmas is this positive grid amp. So basically... I had to come to a hard decision. I either send my Marshall half stack head off and pay a lot of money to get the tubes fixed and hope that it makes it back in transit and still works. Or I could spend a little less amount of money and get basically an amp simulator that lets me control a lot, control and act like I have more pedals and stuff like that than I do. Um, So it's been really fun over the holidays, just like basically getting reacquainted with signal chains and getting to play with a bunch of things that I don't have access to like pedals and you know delay and reverb and all that um, so that's so, really where I focused my time question Blake so this is this is a physical product is that true yeah so Nick you can okay. see it but it's like this I don't know oh one, I see. okay yeah. one and a half foot little box um, and then it pairs with either your phone or like an iPad app and you can basically add and change and swap out the head sound. And then you can add, you know, distortion pedals, noise compressors, delay, reverb pedals, all sorts of stuff. That's like, and it's kind of cool because what they've done is they've modeled a lot of their sounds and their pedals and stuff like that after real live stuff. Um, but they don't name it that for proprietary reasons, of course. Right, 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 right. Um, so it's it's a lot of fun because it's it's like you have access to things that you know professional musicians have access to, um, and there's even some people who rec- have recorded their full new like EPs and albums just using the simulations from amps like this. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun, kind of just getting back into recording and playing guitar at home, uh, just enjoying messing around with sound. That's so, cool, man. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you had a nice, relaxing holiday. Uh, I'm glad that, um, yeah, that I'm, I'm glad you're finding joy. Absolutely. It it's a good thing. But Nick, what you, what's been up with you, man? It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's, uh, I guess, what, we, didn't we re- pre-record something? I don't know. I feel like it's been like a month since I talked to you. Anyway, um, you know, 2021 is here. Um, as we mentioned at the top of the show, I uh, as we're talking about American politics here, um, 
I saw one of my friends talking about, uh, you know, like, hey, uh, I just tried the trial subscription of uh, 2021. Uh, I want to cancel before my seven days are up. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I totally agree. That's what it's all about. Um, anyway, I as we hit 2021, you know, there's a lot of financial goals uh, that I am hoping to sort of make really big headway on um, this year, one of which is actually buying a home, right? Like, that's something that we have actively been saving for a while now and that's something that um what once seemed so out of reach uh just because of you know um life and expensive living here in southern california honestly uh and so yeah. so over the last couple months I, i've slowly started to change our habits to to save a little bit more um and i I recently revisited my tool for doing so. And, and uh, the tool I actually use is is called Capital. And there's a reason why I was hesitant to say it because of everything going on at the Capitol right now. But this is uh, Capital is in like money. Um, and it's spelled Q-A-P-I-T-A-L. I'll put a link uh, in the description below. Um, but the, the whole appeal of this service to me is that you can set up various goals and various rules to operate on your bank account and your spending habits and your income that will automatically route money to these goals, right? So for example, let's just start with something very easy. I know that halfway through this year, I want to buy a Darksaber replica uh, that is coming out and it's about $250. Not a huge purchase, not also something inconsequential, right? $250 would put a dent in, you know, normal expenses. But if I start saving now, if I, it's like $8 a week or something. So I can set up a rule to save $8 a week every week until it comes out in May. And that's just something that happens automatically. It takes $8 out of my bank account. It puts it into a savings account. And what I especially like, which I don't think is like a... a feature necessarily but i use mint to kind of manage all my money and this is kind of not integrated with mint and so it's kind of like separated and it's it's like a black box for my money that just goes in and i'm made almost unaware of it i see the things going into it but i don't see what's into it unless i actually visit the app which is kind of nice right because then i go in and i see oh shoot i have this much money for this thing um and it's, it's been incredibly useful. And I've just revisited sort of my rules. So you can do interesting things like you can set up like every time you get a paycheck. I want to set 1% aside for a deposit on my house or, you know, whatever it is that you want. I want to say I want to save 10% for my house. I want to save 1% for medical emergencies, stuff like that. Um, and I just I, I really enjoy the kind of like set and forget logic behind things. So every like, you know, every couple of weeks I'll see this big chunk of change missing and i'm like oh that's right i set up my rules to, to you know take it out every month right at payday um and that's fine you know like money comes in and it automatically goes into savings and it's it's so convenient and so cool because um if i never see that money especially on the paycheck things if i never see that money then it's like it was never missing but i am saving it it's and i know you can do certain rules like that with your own bank accounts and i still do those too but i i just find the convenience of having um, a system to do additional uh, fun things with. Like, for for example, another one is like, uh, like let's say I'm a frequent Amazon shopper, especially, you know, I, I think all, all of us are now with the pandemic, but um, 
you know, let's say I set up a rule that says, okay, I have budgeted myself $300 to spend on Amazon a month. Um, if I don't spend that $300, I want you to, I want you to put everything that I didn't spend on that, take it out of my bank account, and put it into my savings. Um, Ooh, that's, that's a kind really of a good one. I like yeah, that. So th- these are some really cool rules that you can establish. Um, you can do kind of like a rolling rule, right? Like save $1 the first week and $2 the second week, all the way up to week 52. It's a year out and you're saving $52 in that week. It gets a little heavier, but you at least, you know, you work your way up to it. Um, and it's cool. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting ways to set it up. I just thought I'd mention it to everybody because, um, again, like I have some pretty big financial goals this year in terms of uh, what I'm hoping to accomplish. <laughs> and so, um, you know, hopefully that'll help somebody else out. I did put a link down in the description below. I think they'll give you $5 if you sign up with it. So feel free to use it. Um, it helps out the show. It'll go back into the show. You know, I, it's an affiliate link, but honestly, it's just a cool product, and I was going to talk about it anyway, so there's that. Um, all right. Anything else, Blake? That's super rad. I think I'm going to start using this one myself, actually, because I like the the rule setting. Because I've been able to do something similar with Acorns for all my retirement accounts that I have set up through them yeah. and my investing stuff. Um, but this seems like it's kind of that on steroids, like with some with more logic to it, so I'm really excited to try this out. Yeah, it's just savings. It's not like investments or anything. It's yeah. it's strictly just like separate segregated bank accounts for you to put bucket your money in, right? Like I have one for car registration every year cuz that's like $200 here in California. Yeah. And so, you know, it's something that I don't want to have to worry about when it comes, so I just have it, you know, and when you fill up one goal, it'll open up another one for you and say, "Hey, start saving for something fun." Um, yeah, that's really sweet cuz there's like there's a couple of memberships like that that I have that I would like rather not have to like worry about all of a sudden when they appear. So that mm-hmm. seems like a really awesome use of this as well. Yeah, it's just one of those things where, like, you know, if you set up rules and then get used to it and then set up more rules, you've, you're you kind of, like, slowly adding on to this big saving machine. And you can add as many goals as you want or and set up rules across multiple goals. So that way it's like, I just want, you know, I want to put $500 a month into this thing, distribute it evenly across these five goals, and whichever one fills up first, I'll, you know, pull it out. And it's, it's not one of those gotcha ones where, you know, like, you have to wait. I think you have to wait like maybe a day for it to get hit your bank account. But I mean, it's, it's, it's really cool. And and hopefully, you know, other people find it useful. Absolutely, man. That's awesome. Thanks for the share. Thank you, Blake. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into this next part of the show. We like to call. Human factors news. That's right. This is part of the show all about human factors news. It's where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. In fact, we got a great one today. This one's all about cybersecurity. Um, and this is the the Roundup uh, 2021 Cybersecurity and IT Failures Roundup uh, published by IEEE Spectrum um, just yesterday. So this is actually, uh, you know, this is all of 2020 stuff. Blake, why don't you go ahead and take it away with the blurb? Yeah, so the pandemic year has finally passed, but once again, we're still seeing a lot of IT-related failures that are universally unprejudiced. So companies large and small, sectors private and public, and reputation stellar and scorned, none are even exempt from IT failures. So here within, we've got a bunch of failures, interruptions, crimes, and other IT-related setbacks that made the news in 2020 uh, across everything from aviation to healthcare to, I don't know, there's a lot down there. 
Yeah, so the way we wanted to tackle this, and and obviously let's just let's just talk about IT failures at a high level right now. I think there it's um, let's just say they were pretty common last year, especially because of the way the world went and the way um, society has changed. Right, a lot there's a lot more digital presence now, and uh, as you can imagine, the way we have started to interact with things changed dramatically. And so uh, you know, there's. There's several categories here, um, and I'll just list them off here, but there's aviation, automakers, cloud computing, communications, cybercrime, financial institutions and markets, government IT, health IT, policing, and rail transport. Um, so these are the categories, and I think what we should do, Blake, is probably go through these one by one, pick out an interesting fact. Uh, it's almost like we did this before the show, but we should do this. Um, maybe you want to take the first half and I'll take the second half or something along those lines. Let's go. Yeah. So all right. So take it away with aviation. Yeah. So let's kick it off with aviation. So 2020 marked a really big technical issue for British airways and heat in London Heathrow's airport. So it, because it was unable to correctly check in over, I think, 100 canceled flights, it ended up with more being delayed on top of that. So it was incorrectly trying to check in a lot of passengers, and so it ended up with this outage of at least 10,000 passengers' travel plans in two days that were totally messed up. Um, and it all kind of goes back to this a little bit antiquated system that they talk about that was basically you know, catching a flaw from every time you would scan somebody's passport or scan somebody's ticket. Um, and then that just kind of made it even worse with COVID on top of it, right? So this was right around the time right before March happened. And so it was like you were you were getting delayed and then you were completely stuck. Uh, so there was no travel at all. And in some some cases, not even any reimbursement from it. Yeah, I, I think that's a common thread. Uh, and we can talk about sort of common... Um, common threads here at the end but i think that is one of them and 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 that's the sense of using these legacy systems in a world that demands something better um especially as yeah as we mentioned several times already the pandemic uh has sort of graced us with its presence um you know we are all sort of using things in a different way now and these legacy systems really have an impact uh and it really it really sucks that there, there was no reimbursement for that um yeah that's awful what yeah. about what about uh do you, do you have any other comments on the aviation side of things no 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 not really i mean that was just one of those instances where it's like i mean things got really bad but then you couldn't even travel anymore so it was like what what do you even do and now you have a lot of issues of just like keeping airlines afloat in general um so it's a it's a strange time yeah. for sure but yeah, what onto, about uh, automakers? Yeah, so this was kind of nuts to me. So definitely, 2020 was no shock for the sl for the amount of like electronic related recalls that were appearing. The one of the biggest ones of the year was definitely from GM that had to make a second software recall to try and remedy its first recall's problems. So the original recall at software was aimed to fix a correcting error that would disable specific vehicles, over 400,000 of them. It was disabling the vehicle's electronic stability control and anti-lock brake systems without giving any warnings on the dashboard. However, as oh, patches go, sometimes they can create more issues. And in this case, that's exactly what happened. So GM's kind of patch for this actually disabled the brakes to cars instead of, you know, the control or anti-lock systems. Um, but the saving grace in this case was that when the, the car was turned on, it automatically showed 
customers that, hey, your brakes are out, so before they could drive anywhere, that was at least known. But that's a big one, man. It's something I don't think about as much in cars, as much as like electronics are in them, is the impact of software updates to like how a car works yeah. in general. That's kind of nuts. Yeah, that is kind of interesting, right? As as we sort of move into these internet-connected uh, uh, death machines that we all get into and, and take from one place to another, um, you know, that's it is really kind of an interesting challenge to to how do we handle like this online um, <laughs> this always online device that uh, traditionally wasn't is all analog, right? And you know, as as uh, technology improves, obviously it's become more digital, but still, yeah, I think that is fascinating too. Um, well, so what happens but, when a software update goes bad or a software patch goes bad with more mm-hmm. automated car systems? Like that—that's more yeah. scary to me than something like this, where it's where it's bad, and it was caught. But like for something when you're driving with an automated system, it might not necessarily show up as like a warning on your dashboard that something's wrong with the car. It's more of like how it's innately driving or how it's innately sensing things. Yeah, I mean, like think about the example right where you have like some machine learning going on uh, behind the scenes, and there's like some critical error in the data set that it was provided. Um, and thus causes a, a, a massive um, error in the machine learning's judgment when you know autopilot is on or something. You know that's that's like a huge concern, right? Because then you're in a machine that is doing things that you know it, it could be a perfectly fine software update. Everything could be working as in, quote unquote intended. It's just that the model is messed up or something like that, and it's like that would be harder to to. Um, to test before it actually went to market and you know i know they have lots of processes in place to kind of help mitigate that but still that's something that like i'd be worried about right with some of this technology oh 100 man that's a really good point uh anything else about automaker potential it related issues you can think of now let's move on to cloud computing. All right. This one was just kind of shocking to me. Um, and I don't know why, because like you mentioned at the top of this article, I mean, with the with the pandemic, people were just online more. Um, so cloud computing is generally reliable. A lot of us kind of depend on it to do our jobs or even like major businesses can depend on it to run their infrastructure. Um, but the impacts, as you can imagine, can be pretty widespread, consequential. And especially when so many people are now working at home or taking school at home, it has a real kind of nasty impact on that. Um, oh, yeah. So of note last year, just to name a few of them, everything from Microsoft Azure, Cl- Google Cloud, GitHub, IBM Cloud, and Zoom servers went out multiple times in a large part due to nothing more than just storage issues. So it, it's kind of interesting that a lot of this was just related to hardware issues of not having enough storage, likely because now we have a lot more people online constantly uh, across yeah. the world, I guess. Yeah, and I know this is this is talking about 2020, but like here we're 2021. We've already seen an outage on Slack like just last week. Um, so if anyone if anyone was listening and trying to get on our Slack, that's what was going on. There was an outage last week. So yes, I, I, I get that. It impacts everything we do, especially you know when we rely on some of these uh, software suites to kind of um, you know accomplish a lot of our our day to day tasking. Right? It, it's become so part of our lives that we can't kind of break away. And um, yeah, that's that's uh, not great. Yeah, I mean that's where all of that's where everything I do lives. It's kind of nuts to think about that sometimes. Like all of my work, there's no real physical copy of it anywhere. It's all digital, and most of the time it's yeah. in some kind of cloud service. 
Yeah, I know. I have the same kind of uh, same same kind of worry there, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that I can tangibly say. This is my work, but anyway. Yeah. All right. Uh, Let's get into the next one here. All right, so we got communication. So recurring communications problem continued throughout 2020, of course, as we know. So several emergency services actually went offline, including Arizona's 911 system in June that left over a million people without service. Uh, This was also happened across the pond as well. So in Hampshire, England, uh, the new 999 system collapsed in July. Meanwhile, again in September, 911 outages across 14 states went out for over an hour. So, again, Nick, you kind of already brought this up, but there's a lot of these kind of pre-existing systems that tend to kind of break down over time. And I'm imagining, like, again, we're seeing a legacy issue here across even things in the United States, but also in other countries as well. Um, And that can have serious issues consequences too because this isn't just like you know zooms down or microsoft teams doesn't work this is like you can't get a hold of people that could potentially take you to the hospital or police that could help you any of that kind of stuff yeah i but when i first saw the communications line i was like oh yeah it's zoom right it's it's uh, obviously zoom's gonna have issues but yeah as you as you kind of went through that and read it i was like oh yeah no this is a serious issue right like this could be literally the difference between life and death um, and yeah, that's, it's staggering to know that it's, uh, it's, it's, it was such an issue in, in 2020. Yeah. It's just nuts. So to wrap it up for the first half anyway, we've got cyber crimes. This was kind of an interesting one for sure. So the numbers of records that were exposed by data breaches and especially unsecured databases continued to skyrocket with at least 36 billion records exposed as the end of September 2020 rolled around. So while these this number of data breaches has actually gone down, uh, the large number of unsecured databases discovered is still kind of continuing to go up. Um, and then, kind of, of course, in tandem with that, you have a lot more ransomware attacks that start kind of creeping up as we're having these kind of unsecured breaches as well. So that's that's kind of a I don't know. I wonder if that's, again, like an impact of all of us being online all the time and like even even, you know, hackers in this case. Yeah. Focusing all their time now on kind of like either hacking databases or whatever it may be. Yeah, I, I would uh, obviously I, I would imagine it to skyrocket last year because you know we have so many people now living online, uh, literally working online, doing everything online, and so the value of online commodities have increased significantly. Right, if you can get access to someone's data, there are many other apologies about the screaming cat in the background there's there's many opportunities to sort of get to a password that maybe you know they didn't have an online work system before but now they do and that password that they use on that is also the same one that they use on their bank account and so now you have all this uh uh, more opportunity to collect uh information about somebody um yeah i i expected it but yeah it's it's kind of staggering right yeah, except for especially for like like consumer facing, I kind of understand it a little bit because there's more people online, but also like not all of us are very versed in, you know, best security practices. Not everybody uses is using something like a LastPass. Um, but I guess what's a little more staggering is kind of the ransomware attacks that are targeting not necessarily people, but bigger institutions like the government the education systems and hospitals that's a little more kind of staggering to me i guess because i data data database breaches 
aren't as surprising because it just depends on cybersecurity practices and how things are going in the company culture. Um, but this is a lot of kind of interesting cybercrime stuff for one year. Yeah. Uh, speaking of cybercrime, uh, I'm gonna. I, I tried to mention banks as a segue. So now we're looking at. Uh, this is you've done the first five. Thank you, Blake. Now it'll be my five. We'll talk about these. Uh, so first one up here is financial institution and ma- markets. Um, so there were some notable bank IT problems involving Chase Bank. Um, basically, these technical issues created incorrect customer balances in June, uh, and. Nigerian First City Monument Bank, where up to 5.1 million customers had trouble accessing their online accounts for four days in July. Uh, And then also in July, we had the Australian Commonwealth Bank customers suffering a nine-hour online and banking outage, while the National Australia Bank customers experienced a similar situation in October. So we kind of see these sporadic outages for, I guess, a couple hours up to multiple days where folks can't get access to their bank account and you know it's it's so funny because i'm such an advocate of of uh, credit cards and stuff um and and i know it's not viable for a lot of people i don't carry cash on me at all uh and because you know everything you just link to this card that you just put and, and it works and if that one doesn't work then you have another service that you can just you know use um but I can see how this is a huge issue for people where, you know, this is their primary uh, dealings, right? If, if if somebody only deals with one bank, uh, then, it's, then it's a huge issue when they can't get to their money. That is literally the thing that gets you everything else here on this planet is the exchange of money for goods. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's kind of shocking to me that, uh, you know, we had the, the, that 5.1 million customers uh, for four days. That's huge. I mean, that is pretty nuts because a lot of the stuff we've talked about up until now is like hours uh, right. or maybe two days was the most, but like four days without access to money. I mean, like like you just said, I don't carry cash. Actually, I, I returned something to Target the other week and they gave me cash. And I was like, what? I don't even know where to what put do I this. Do I don't that? have a wallet anymore. I know. Uh, I, I immediately go to the bank and deposit it if I get cash. Even if it interrupts my workflow, I'll just do that because otherwise I'll forget about it. Yep. Uh, yeah. Now I just got random cash sitting somewhere. But yes, this is pretty intense for a fine for multiple financial institutions. That's nuts. Yeah. Um, what goes better together than money and government? So government IT actually had a huge, uh, huge issues this year, too. Um, let's see here. Medicine shift to electronic health records. Uh, let's see. Oh, no, wait. Oh, shoot. Did I accidentally? I, I accidentally copied the same thing twice. All right. Well, let me go ahead and find my point that I was trying to make. So basically, the whole issue with government IT is that there's a, a larger dependence on these governments uh, working off of legacy IT systems. And I kind of mentioned this at the top when we were talking about aviation and the tickets, right? So governments are working off this these legacy IT systems, um, and and particularly in regard to like unemployment, right? So because of COVID and everybody getting laid off earlier in the year, there's this rapid increase in demand for unemployment benefits. Um, and, you know, basically those changes coupled with the amount of benefits paid and the inability to reprogram quickly the benefit systems affected this unemployment system uh, in several states, California, Oregon, Washington. Um, and basically, you know, every other state here in the, the states uh, experience technical problems, right? In, including like fraud, um, 
you know, and and there's also computer issues affecting the IRS uh, and their ability to send out stimulus checks, which is relief that people desperately need. Um, you know, and this is this is that's just the United States, but there's other uh, countries as well that were affected by these legacy IT systems, like Canada. Um, among, let's see here, I'm I'm looking. Canada was also affected. Uh, I had the bullet point earlier. This is this is kind of the uh, bummer about losing that point. Anyway, um, they are looking at uh, anyway. That's that's kind of the main thing there is that the, that these legacy systems are are um, vastly unprepared for the workload that they needed to undergo last year, and and you know we're not sure if they're there where they need to be. And kind of on top of that as well, like it it. The blurb for this actually calls out a really an older programming language called COBOL, which is the common business oriented language, and it's one that you don't see a lot of people being very fluent in. In turn, and especially when you're talking about like modern uh, language frameworks or even even things like C sharp or whatever, this is not something people really pick up and know that well anymore. I mean, it's it's been around since 2002, but it's just not something that you have a whole lot of fluent people in. And so you can imagine right. when things go wrong, it's hard to even figure out what the issue is or find the right kind of technical staff that can tackle it with a lot of people probably having to learn so many things on the fly. And unfortunately, the way that it's created, it's a very like English-like language, so it has some nuance to it that doesn't lend it always to just general programming logic. Um, so I think on top of it being old and a not well-kept-up language and not as not as used anymore, running these old legacy systems, it just leads to a big disaster across the world, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, right? Um, just to think of how these legacy systems have really impacted everybody. Uh Hopefully, that's a problem that's resolved in the future. I'm going to move on to here to health IT. Uh, so medicine's shift to electronic health records um, has been bumpy and continues to be bumpy. So about a year ago, the UK government actually pledged to provide uh, a lot of money to streamlining some of these logging into National Health Service IT systems. Um, and, and so now we're looking at sort of this human factors issue of actually logging into multiple systems, right? So you, some staff reporting logging into like 15 different systems in a single shift. Um, you're also looking at issues with, uh, you know, 23 million records in Australia's uh, controversial national My Health Record system contained no information, um, showing that its perceived benefits are still convincing to, to most uh, Australian patients or practitioners. Um so and then and then in March you have this research paper that came out uh, from Mayo Clinic um, that indicated U.S. physicians are rated uh, rated the usability of their EHRs an F, and that poorly implemented EHRs were contributing to physician burnout. Huge human factor issue there, um, and you know this is especially especially prevalent when you have a lot of people in the hospital right now. Um, so, you know, th think about that. Chew on that, Blake. It's awful, man. I, w I was telling Nick before, one of the people I get to work with through Design Lab, she's actually somebody who experiences this and has come to Design Lab to learn how to be a better designer and come up with innovative solutions because she's having the opportunity to impact these electronic health record systems. 
Um, but it's insane. I mean, the, this thing talks about 15 different systems you might have to log in per shift. I mean, imagine if you had to do that all the time, constantly seeing one patient or just to, you know, do parts of your job. It would, it would, just that alone could burn you out, like remembering passwords or making sure you have your key card plus your PIN. And then if it sucks to use, like, forget it. I mean, it would, it would be really easy for mistakes to be made as well or records to, you know, not be updated correctly. Um, so I don't know. This is a, this is a big place for like user experience and human factors, professionals and like systems engineers to kind of take a look at in the health world. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of opportunity there for human factors. Uh, and there always has been really in health. Um, and there always will be, I feel like, uh, I, th I think that's a pretty stable job market for us human factors practitioners there. Um, move on to policing here so obviously in 2020 there were a lot of issues with the police um i'm going to talk about it from again the cyber security perspective uh you know outlined in this article here so there were there were a lot of um battles against uh automated facial recognition right this is the uh we saw portland even pass some legislation to ban it entirely uh so so obviously in in sort of the middle of all this social unrest going on um you have microsoft and amazon announcing in june that they're going to suspend face facial recognition software uh it, it, to police departments they are no longer providing it to, to police departments ibm went a step further announced it in june that they'd no longer work at the on the technology at all or completely done with it um in august this facial technician or sorry this facial recognition technology um was used by British police uh, and it was ruled unlawful uh, by a court of appeals until the government uh, officially approves its use. So lots of, I would say, wins for uh, facial technology, facial recognition technology. And I think we talked a lot about this on the show, too. Um, but uh, we can talk about that. And then there's this other issue here with uh, IT issues in the U.K., Right in January, uh, there's an error in the city of London's police where new crime reporting service that was launched in 2018 kept information on over 300,000 fraud crime reports uh, from being shared um, by the database with the London police for 15 months. So there's like this lack of communication between the database and the police. Um, so lots, I would say like lots of wins uh, on, on like the... Uh, from the camp of we want to ban facial recognition, um, you know, at least in terms of these these big companies stepping away from um, providing the police with this technology. Which, I mean, I think that says a lot for the tech world, too. And it's something I, I think in this case is probably commendable, right? Like, Because if you're already aware that based off of what you can do with the facial recognition technology, that this bias exists, and then you're... So now you're you're left in this weird place, right? Like you could give it to the police and make money off of it and also grow the technology. Um, but at what cost is that going to come? Right. And so I, I think it's awesome to see for Microsoft and Amazon, Microsoft and Amazon and anybody, any other facial recognition software companies that have pulled from handing it out to police departments that they've, they've kind of made the right step at this point in time. It's kind of like if the technology is just not for far enough along it, you have to make these kind of harsh decisions and hard trade-offs. Yeah. Agree. I'm going to move on to this last point here. Rail transport. I feel like we need more rail transport stories on the show. I mean, we talked about Hyperloop. Is Hyperloop, ra is Hyperloop rail transport? I feel like it is. I think it is. 
Um, we need more rail transport stories. I love trains. Uh, there's a there's a few train or subway IT related problems. Uh, there were there were not very many that were reported last year. Uh, the biggest news is that after 12 years, uh, 41 U.S. freight and passenger re, uh, railroads have met um, the the federal mandate for deploying positive train control to prevent train accidents, such as train to train collisions, derailments caused by excessive train speed, train movements through misaligned track switches, and uh, unauthorized train entry into work zones. So. Um, Basically, they've they've kind of uh, uh, met this mandate, which is which is uh, for for positive train control, which is awesome. That's so nuts. Like I, I hardly think about rail transport and the impact of IT related problems to it. So it's cool to hear about this because when I realistically, when I think about a train, I think of like really old school trains that were right. just based off a of locomotive type stuff. But like the fact that there's probably a lot of you know, software and engineering that goes into them and running chains autonomously in some cases. Um, so, yeah, this is kind of yeah. nuts. I mean, it, it, the the autonomous vehicle stuff has come up too, right? I mean, you can't really have autonomous systems on rail transport that goes into public places. Otherwise, you might have an issue where uh, someone gets squished. Um, and that's putting it lightly, right? So, like, just, just want to talk about briefly the... Um, the uh automation bit uh there's uh they're recommending autom they they first recommended automatic train control back in 1969 um and you know there's i think probably with machine learning there's a lot more opportunity to save lives <laughs> um than than kind of the systems that are in place now anyway that's that's the whole list uh, if you want to go check this list out for yourself, we've put the link down in the description below. Thank you to our friends over at IEEE Spectrum for our news story this week. Um, we have also posted this link in our Slack. If you want to talk about it with us over there, uh, please do. We're going to take a quick break, and we're, then we're going to be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. All right, and we're back. Uh, not mentioned that we keep plugging that we need to update that thing. We need to update that commercial. Uh, human Factors Minute. That's the thing we're proud of. Um, that's, a, that's a chunk of Human Factors d directly into your RSS feed uh, if you are a Patreon member of a certain tier level, and it's great. We, I, <laughs> we talk about it on the show all the time. Really, it's something great. Uh, we, we dig into the textbooks and we pull out all the exciting things and, and maybe overlooked things that you may have forgotten about. Uh, and we pack it into a minute-long little bite-sized thing of human factors and send it your way. 
uh, for supporting the show. Um, we're always updating our rewards over there. Uh, so go check us out. I, I don't feel like pulling the whole Patreon plug train today. So uh, that's, I'll just leave it at there. Uh, but uh, anyway, this next part of the show is <laughs> for we, anyway, let's get to the next part of the show. It came from. It came from. Yeah, that's right. This is, it came from Slack. Sorry. I'm just not in the mood for a whole lot of self promotion today. I just, it's like, I don't even care to do it. <laughs> it's there if you want to it's there um this is the part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you topics the community is talking about uh anything is fair game it could come from our slack it could come from reddit it could come from twitter wherever it is uh, as long as it's human factors and encourages discussion um blake we have a couple here uh that you pulled um are there any ones that you can't live without talking about um I don't know. I kind of like the last one, to be honest, because it's more retrospective on projects. Okay, let's do that one. So, okay, this one this one was posted uh, by user 2Rule, uh, and this one, I guess, was on the, um, UX. the user experience subreddit. This is, uh, considering your last project, what is one thing you would change in the way you work as an individual, as a team, or as an organization? Uh, to make the outcomes, both the designs and the user's experience, better and define better. Uh, hope everyone is having a good downtime. Happy New Year. So, uh, Blake, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass this over to you since you were so eager to answer it. Yeah, so this is, I don't know, this is very timely. So I am transitioning projects, so this is like a good time to actually take the time to think about and be retrospective about what's gone on on the project, what went well, what didn't go well. Uh, those kind of things and how to improve. Um, so this one, this one's kind of tough for me to answer, but I'm going to answer it in the terms that I can. So for my last project, I I can consistently let a a tough individual get in my way of asking the questions or clarifications that I needed to do my job effectively. And I think that actually impacted my performance, my design, my way that I interacted with other other teammates. And it's recently a conversation that I've had to have with my leadership in that I, I, I felt bad that I let my kind of pride of not feeling stupid or not feeling stupid in front of someone get in the way of being able to deliver good experiences, no matter kind of what that specific leadership role thought of me. And so it's something that I want to strive to push for in the work that I do in 2021, because it, it's really important to me to be able to feel like when I walk away from a project or we deliver something or whatever it may be, that it's the best quality work that it can be that I was able to do. And by letting things like other people's opinions or anything like that get in the way of you having the information that you need or, you know, knowing how to connect you with the right people, I think it's just a, it's a bad habit to get into. And I think if anybody's listening to the podcast and they've ever had like a, a particularly tough coworker that you're concerned about feeling stupid or don't know how to approach them, figure out ways to overcome that kind of pride issue or that fear, because I think ultimately it holds a lot of people back. And it's something that I definitely want to strive to continue to work on throughout the year. Oh, man, if that tough individual is listening, you're toast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, but <laughs> no, is I what think, it is. I, I think your message is good, right? Be um, be sort of proactive in in uh, asking questions. Don't, you know, swallow your pride, so to speak, um, 
and uh, get the questions get the questions that you need answered answered, and uh, don't don't let imposter syndrome take you away. Right? They hired you for a reason. That's kind of what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'd echo that. I think that's really great. Um, the one thing I would add to this is build it into your work process. Um, you know, in Agile, there's, you know, and I'm, I'm trained as a scrum master, so this is kind of beaten my head here, but the, the in Agile, there's this thing at the end of every iteration or sprint or whatever you want to call it called a, a retrospective. And this is literally where you say, hey, what did we do in this last leg of work that worked out well? What didn't work so well and what can we just all together get out of here going forward right like what is working what's not and then you consistently try to improve the way that you work right and this is meant more for like dev teams but you can implement this in your own work right like hey when you have a subset of a project that you're working on let's say there's a set of designs for a certain widget or component or whatever it is that you're working on and you you say, okay, at the end of this, I'm going to reflect. Build it into your work schedule. Build it into sort of your workflow. And that will provide you with opportunities to kind of course correct and get on the right path uh, without having to get all the way through a project to do that. So that's really the only other thing I'd add. I think your advice is, is really sound there, Blake. Good job. Yay, very good. And thank you, Scrum Master Nick. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, all right, I'm going to pick one next. I, I, I'm going <laughs> to... Um, <laughs> I'm going to go for this one uh, because I feel like we can both relate to this one. This one is by user Susie XO. Uh, oh, yeah. And this one is also from the user experience subreddit. Is it normal to be assigned a task without a detailed explanation? Uh, they go on to write, I started at my new job and my boss keeps sending me tasks without proper introduction or explanation. I'm working at a software company as a UX and UI designer. He will send me a screenshot of the software and ask me to add filters and icons ASAP using terminology related to the software that I don't understand. Uh, I was not even introduced to the screen page or functionality, so I'm not sure what he even means by the task. Is this normal? Should I ask for a clear explanation? Blake, have you ever encountered... I, I can't imagine you've ever encountered a situation where... You have just been tasked with something, and you're, you're it's totally ambiguous. You have no idea what you're doing, right? It, that's not common? Uh, no, it's not common at all. You always get instruction manuals with your tasking, <laughs> and then you're good to go. Yeah, so this is an interesting one, and the reason I pulled it is because I think that is a norm. You technically, you, A lot of times you'll get a very ambiguous task, and the reason they hired you uh, is likely to figure it out. <laughs> but in this case, the what I thought was... Also interesting, and it's too bad that we may not be able to get this to Susie XO, but the thing that strikes me here is it seems like they've got a UX or UI designer. This could apply to human factors people too. They've hired you, but they don't actually know what you do. And so it is now your job, kind of like what I was talking about in the last one, to go ask the questions. Go yeah. get that clarification. Get that walkthrough from the software and do not let them just like steamroll you into just do the work and then we'll talk about it later do the work but make sure you get that explanation because or else this will just keep happening cyclically and you'll never get yeah. out of it and i think another thing for 
in this case, if there really is no kind of design process or process at all for this stuff and you're just getting one-off tasks, you've got to think about how do you approach leadership or how do you approach the teams you work on to put a process in place so that you can make life easier for yourself and educate people about you know human factors or user experience or design or whatever it is in a way that makes the work environment work for you. Yeah, I, I agree with all that, Blake. Um, and and even agree with your sentiment that this is normal. And it absolutely is. There are there is it every task? No. But will there be tasks that you encounter on a semi regular basis that are ambiguous and unclear? Absolutely. Uh and at least in the field of human factors, um and in you know what, I, I'm just gonna say it a blank blanket statement. I think your job is to figure out exactly what the requirements are. What are the requirements? What are what is the intent um, behind uh, the user in that interface? At least in this example, right? It's like, um, and and so yes, in in your situation, I would absolutely ask for more explanation and say, you know, hey, I'm I'm just looking for a little bit further clarification. Um, what do you mean by filters? And uh, you know. Um, is this something that the user wants to do, you know, and I would just kind of elaborate that way. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's normal. It's normal. Um, all right. Let's, let's get through any of anything else to add uh, to that one, Blake. Yeah. Just like in, in the random event that this person actually hears the, you know, 30, 40 minutes into the podcast. Uh, one way that you could do it. If you, if you haven't really approached somebody like this before, if this is one of your like newer jobs in the UX design role is, Send them something back and then make it clear what your interpretations are based off of what they said. So if they're using terminology to understand and you send them something in return, say like, this is the, this is what I'm interpreting the user flow to be based off of these terms. This is how I've incorporated these icons. Any other ideas that you have kind of explain that. And then if you can, I'd go follow up with like a stand in meeting as well, just to talk through your ideas. Yeah, because um, that may lead you to that explanation you're looking for without like directly asking for it and making yourself feel vulnerable about it. I think that's a great idea. All right, let's do one more, and I'm going to use this this one because this is an interesting one. Uh, should I use Fiverr or Upwork to start my career? Um, so this is uh, this is a new designer, uh, UX designer. Uh, and have mixed opinions on uh, using services like Fiverr or Upwork, uh, which use short-term gigs to help establish myself in the field. Um, when I say establish myself, I mean being able to build my portfolio, demonstrate my skills, start making money. Um, their goal is to get a full-time contract position or uh, full-time position, uh, but they're not sure if spending time on freelancing will detract from their job hunt time or help it. Um, so Blake, do you have any experience with Fiverr or Upwork? I do with Upwork. Um, so my, I have a lot of thoughts on this one. You'll, you'll see Nick, there's a reason that I picked it and I think oh, yeah, that, I'm sure like a junior in any position has such, especially in 2021, as weird as it is to say that there's, there's so much at your fingertips that you can do to help you in the job world right now. It's, it's kind of insane. Um, but so let's stick to the Upwork or Fiverr thing. I think doing anything like Upwork or Fiverr is a good idea if you will go 100% at it. Uh, you can't like get an Upwork job and do a half-assed job at it. 
you have to really go all in and be willing to make mistakes, like act like it's the job you always wanted. Because I, th- I think by taking that work ethic, you're going to get something out of it that you'll be proud of to put in your portfolio if you can, you know, if it's not like something where you have to sign an NDA or whatever like that. And I think it's, it is a good way to build your reputation, get some like short-term money, but it can be really, really hard as a junior to get work on Upwork. I definitely experienced that. Um, but doing it and getting jobs and doing little like side off logo things, it helped me out. And it kind of gave me a sense of what it's like to be a freelancer and what all that kind of entailed. Um, in terms of like establishing yourself as a designer with your portfolio and all that stuff, do not forget that you can do that through things like Instagram or YouTube or, you know, dribble or any of those kind of platforms that allow you to showcase work that you do. Um, that's something that's been really popular with a couple of my design students, like making Instagram accounts that are focused on their UI design skills or like commentary about UX on a podcast or whatever it may be. So there's a lot of different ways to kind of build a brand around yourself outside of just trying to only do freelance work. And to the last point, I don't think it should take that much time away from your job hunt because the job hunt should be pretty straightforward. As long as your resume has been, you know, ticked up and you've had friends look at it and you know what you're looking for, um, that networking and job hunt should just be like a chunk of your time. And you could spend a lot of time trying to make money and trying to learn a little bit more about your craft. Yeah, I'm going to take this from the perspective of a human factors practitioner here, um, because there's there's a big difference, I think, between like a like someone who does design work uh, for like a quick job versus somebody who really needs to understand the users. Right. And and I think there is a difference. And I don't know if there's any human factors. Um, I, I would imagine there's some like user research gigs on these, but probably not many. Is that my is that right, Blake? Uh, you'd be surprised on Upwork, Fiverr. I have no okay. idea. All right, so so here's here's my recommendation: is is find um, if you, if you do use sites like this, use it in conjunction with other things, right? Network with other individuals, people who are you know we always say go to conferences. Not so easy right now. Uh, there are other ways to network though. There are like some of these uh meetups via Zoom. Um, just stay on a little longer than everybody else and insert yourself into the conversation. Um, I think that's typically how networking kind of goes these days. Uh, but I, I would say, you know, there's, um, there's, there's a unique opportunity with these kind of one-off contract work, uh, websites like Fiverr or Upwork where you have the opportunity to kind of pick and choose what you apply to. And what I would do is based on, um, you know, where, where your goal is, obviously, pick projects that are a little bit closer to that goal. And if you're not sure, pick things across a range, because that is something that you can get with something like this is, is working on different projects with very different user bases, right? Try to go for like a commerce website and then go for something like a like a, a, a reference, reference website for something else, right? Like there's, there's, um, and then go for something that's not even a website at all. Um, you know, so so you can go for a variety of different uh, research options there, and um, and that that diversity in portfolio will be really helpful for you, especially when you're looking for work. And like Blake said, go 100. percent It's not. It, it's a job. Uh, if you're you know looking here, it's not like a quick cash cow, right? Especially if you're going to try to put this in your portfolio. Um, yeah, I think that's all I'll add. Is uh, is is 
treat it with respect and, and try to go for range. Do it. That's a great, great piece of advice for sure. All right. Well, uh, I think that's going to be it, Blake. Uh, let's see here. So that's it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the news story this week. Did you uh, did you like the cybersecurity aspect? I thought I had fun. Uh, <laughs> if you want to, you can follow us on Slack. Uh, for you know, we post all the stories there. We've got another interesting one that we're going to be talking about next week. Um, right in that channel, you can follow us all over social media at H Factors Podcast. If you'd like to get to us directly, you can do that show at humanfactorscast.com. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice. Uh, let us, you know, let your friends know about the show. That really helps uh, the show grow. Um, or, you know what, I mentioned it earlier, but I'm not, I don't care about self-promotion tonight. You can support us on Patreon if you like. Uh, we have some fun stuff for you there. And, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arsdor for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about what they're going to do in 2021? The best way to find me is you can find me in the Human Factors Cast Slack at Blake or across social media at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time... It depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.